Welcome to the Rally Point Podcast, where we equip you to support others. I'm Bobby Jackson. And I'm Noah Throw. And today we're going to be talking about supporting and ministering to students with disabilities. Bobby and I will be talking with one of our friends about his heart to make the church a place where we can welcome every kid, regardless of their ability. I am really excited to talk about this subject because in a church I used to be at, I actually served with students who had all kinds of disabilities every Sunday morning. And um, for a while, I've, I've been working in a school for kids with autism. And so, man, when you work with people who have disabilities long term, you just you just get such a well of appreciation and passion and just such a deep love for serving them, not because... Um, in, in the moment, sometimes it's really difficult, but man, just watching them grow and watching them explore the opportunities available to them and just even watching them just learn like social skills and start to interact with each other and to interact with you. It's just so awesome. It's, I mean, it's like watching any other student grow and learn and change and become this fully formed person. And, um, also man, sometimes, you know, kids who, uh, aren't generally, like typical students who walk in the door, sometimes they have little quirks that you just couldn't imagine that are really entertaining. And you can just have really raw and honest conversations with them because they're just so themselves. And I, mm. I just love these kids so much. And so I'm really excited to hear about how we can minister to them and welcome them yeah. into our churches and and get them to be a part of the body of Christ. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the things uh, for me in my experience working with students with disabilities is working with them has uh, kind of put a spotlight on, in my own heart, on different things in me. I've learned more from students in my ministry who have disabilities probably than from any other, from any other student. Um, Cause I see the things in me that are um, some of, some of my worst traits and some of my best traits get, get highlighted uh, as I work with students with disability, the things that I feel awkward about, um, mm. also the the simple joys, the 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 mm. pleasures, the honesty, the uh, the innocence. Uh, there's a lot mm. of things that I've really enjoyed uh, that I've seen and learned from the kids in in our ministry uh, through the years. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, today we're excited to have Pete Sutton on the podcast with us. Pete is the pastor of student ministries at Compass Church in Naperville, Illinois, and throughout the course of his ministry career, he's developed a huge heart for kids with disabilities. Yeah. Pete has years of experience caring for kids with disabilities. He's got over 80 hours of training in trauma-informed care. He lives a life surrounded by people with different kinds of disabilities, from mild to severe. Some of his kids and foster and adopted kids have, have different kinds of disabilities. And he's an expert when it comes to developing ministry strategies that, in, that help include kids and care for kids. And honestly, he's one of my role models. So when it comes to this space, I, I just am so honored, so excited to have Pete uh, here with us today. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate that. I'm honored to be here and uh, right back at you. I've uh, 
loved doing ministry with you side by side. I've learned a ton from you, and uh, it is really an honor to be part of this podcast. So, Pete, can you kind of uh, give us a little bit of a, a snapshot, just a sh- like the shortened version of how you developed this passion for kids with, with disabilities and ministry to people with disabilities specifically? Yeah, I, you know, I think like most people, when you have a passion area, it's something that happens to you. Um, and, and I think it, it happens oftentimes um, without even knowing it. So my journey um, to really love and care for people with disabilities began in high school. So my sister, I have a twin sister named Amy, and uh, she is a remarkable lady. And um, at the time, she loved serving in um, various ministries and um you know, environments where people with disabilities would be. And every summer she served at Easter Seals camp. So she would go and she would be matched with a child with severe disabilities and be their one-on-one caregiver counselor for the week of summer camp. And these kids would come to summer camp and uh, she loved it. And one year they needed um, guy counselors. And so she said, well, my brother will do it. And I wasn't (laughs) thinking about it. I wasn't interested in it. And I thought, well, why not? I don't have anything else to do. So I went and I, and I did it. And I had a blast, uh, a lot of fun. Um, my my wife, Jocelyn, um, at the time she was my girlfriend, she jumped in and started serving at Easter Seals. And um, we just had an absolute blast. Now, my wife um, went into special ed. She oftentimes in her high school cared for um, another student who was deaf and helped with signing and translation. Um, she always sat with the kids with disabilities at the lunch table and cared for them and helped them out. So she had a deep heart and passion for this. And so as we um, got married and entered ministry together, um, it was a real no-brainer for us to just welcome kids with disabilities with open arms. And we're talking, Hmm. you know, the mid-90s when there wasn't quite the access that there is today. There wasn't quite the understanding, that space. And so we were kind of a novelty in our church and our denomination. um, And what we were able to do and really understand about kids with disabilities was something unique. And so we just kind of kept moving in that direction and um, in developing a youth ministry that was welcoming with, you know, open mm-hmm. doors, wide open mm-hmm. doors. And um, kids started to kind of come. Um, and mm-hmm. I, at that time, I would say that we didn't even really have much of a ministry as much as we just had an open heart and a kindness um, mm-hmm. about us that made them feel welcome. I was just going to ask a question as we launch into this conversation. One of the things that's really tricky in this space is the language. We probably are going to stumble over our words and say some things, and sometimes we might use a phrasing that that some that can feel offensive to some people. So, um, what I know you have really specific opinions, and especially in your family, what 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 phrasing is appropriate? What do people um, prefer to be known as? Like as we're using these kinds of language, we really don't want to hurt anybody with with the sure. way we speak. But sometimes that that's a, a, an evolving door and a changing um, a kind of a changing space. What um, as we as we ask you questions, are there? Do you have any tips for us on how how we go about speaking? <laughs> you know, I, I think um, it's like any other hot button issue, whether it's you know race or um, you know disabilities, uh, gender issues, sexualities. Um, you know, there are terminologies that, that are just constantly changing. Um, I think the most important thing is that you're in the conversation. Um, Hmm. I think most people who are um, wrestling with these things, whether because they have disabilities themselves or within their family or they're wrestling with a ministry with it, um, 
like I said, you know, regardless of whatever the topic happens to be, people that are in it are just grateful that people are talking about it. And that's a big Mm -hmm. step forward. And so making mistakes is much preferred over not talking about it at all. So right off the bat, you know, bravo for having the conversation and for asking the right question. Um, I think people with disabilities is the most common broad term that you can use. Um, One of the things to keep in mind is that we always want to put the people first. So we never want to say disabled people because that's to lead with a disability. Um, You know, blind people, uh, deaf people, um, that those that phraseology is probably the more offensive um, way to say it uh, because we want to put the people first. So we want to say students with disability. Um, You know, I have a friend who is, you know, hard of hearing, who is uh, verbally challenged, who is, um, you know, physically impaired. Um, And those phrases, you know, different abled, uh, disabled, Handicap. Handicap is a bit of an old term, but it's been grandfathered in, in a sense, because it was the standard at the time. And so mm. legally, a lot of the language happens to say that. I mean, the, the signs at the grocery store or the parking lot, it's handicap yeah. parking, right? Um, mm. But to be honest with you, most people with disabilities are not offended by the language. Um, mm. They recognize that they're atypical and they're just grateful that somebody's having a conversation and addressing them uh, personally. That's super helpful, Pete. I think you taught me that a, a couple of years ago, and and, and I, I really appreciate it. Just to to lead with the person and and to give dignity to the to the personhood, the 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 fact that uh, people with disabilities are are image bearers of God too, yeah. and 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 not different from anyone else in that like that that they carry God's image as well. And so mm-hmm. we acknowledge the, the the personhood. Yeah, that's a that's a really important distinction that each one of these individuals is a person created in the image of God and they're endowed with dignity, um, God-given dignity, worth, by virtue of the fact that they're creating God's image, not because their bodies function in a particular way or their mind. Um, You know, that's the, and it's hard because I, I think when we think about the image of God, we think about all sorts of things. When we think about that theology um, I just got done doing a, a Bible reading plan with my sons on biblical manhood, right? Everybody wants to be manly, but is manliness godliness and is godliness about being strong or courageous or fearless? And uh, I, I, I think we need to shun those ideas and resituate the image of God in something much deeper um, hmm. than that. And, and because of that, you know, when we think about somebody with a disability, um, I think that's how, actually where we have to start is recognizing them as somebody created in the image of God and mm. um, their worth, their dignity doesn't come from how they contribute to society um, or how mm. much work they are to interact with. Um, it, it's something mm. deeper and more profound than that. Yeah, that's really wise. And you obviously have so much experience and even just these past couple of minutes listening to you, there's there's so much wisdom you have to share. And so, um, you know, you said starting out, let's approach them in their image of godness. And so I'm curious if if there's leaders in ministry or pastors who maybe have less experience than you or maybe haven't interacted um, with people with disabilities as much and are feeling a little just kind of uh, unsure on this topic or a little a little foggy about it, what are some of the, the first things um, 
kind of just following this trail that you've talked about, the image of God, the, the language we use, what are some of the other kind of basic things that you would say, hey, you need to be aware of this when students with disabilities walk into your ministries, and this is a maybe proper way to respond or to engage with them? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and um, you know, it is a, a broad question because when we talk about people yeah. with disabilities, we're talking about somebody from something as simple and invisible as um, diabetes. You know, somebody that has type 1 diabetes is living with a constant day-in, day-out, oftentimes moment-by-moment, concern monitoring their blood sugar and you know so when we hold youth group events and we've got you know cookies and candy and you know you name it it's like we're killing this kid um and we've got to be really careful about that you know when we have these big parties can they participate do we make space for kids with food intolerances and i said something earlier these are invisible disabilities and i think that we you know people with invisible disabilities probably suffer the most um, autism can easily be one of those, um, anxiety and, and, uh, depression and, and those kind of things are cognitive emotional disabilities that, um, you don't see when you meet somebody. Um, and so we can easily treat people like they're typical when they actually need some, some special treatment. Um, so I think about kids with autism that have, um, sensory input disorder. Um, they, they have a hard time processing sound and lights and, Sometimes our youth mm. groups are nothing but a big show with loud music and lights and yeah. lasers. And it's like, mm, we think that's cool. But for them, it, I mean, it's absolutely overwhelming. And then we wonder why they're bouncing off the walls or they can't sit still. They constantly leave the room mm. and we've just set them up for failure. So mm. um, I think we need to be very, to, to begin with, we need to recognize that each kid is different. So when they walk in the room, if, if they don't have, you know, a wheelchair or a cane or doesn't mean they don't have disability. Um, we need to know each one of those students that walks in the door and get to know them individually. It's easier when somebody does walk in with, uh, you know, a, a cane. They're, um, you know, maybe they're blind or maybe they've got a, a wheelchair or, um, you know, there's an obvious physical sign that says I need to treat this person differently. Um, and we oftentimes make those adjustments, don't we? Like, when, you know, if you're at the store and you see somebody walk in and they're on crutches, uh, you know, or uh, they've got a walker, uh, you hold the door for them. You, you kind of go out of your way to make sure that things are cleared out of their path. Um, we're smart enough to do those things. Um, and those things ought to be done. Uh, but a lot of times people don't know how to treat somebody with a disability. And a wheelchair is a really good example because uh, do you crouch down and, and, and speak to them at their level? Or you stand up and, and you know, and, and people can make arguments on both sides of that, right? Like, if I stoop down, are they feeling like I'm condescending to them? Am I, or if I stand up, am I being rude? You know, are they used to, you know, cricking their neck and, and looking up at people? And um, I think that the, the first question that we, or the first thing I'd recommend is just asking the question, hey, what kind of tips can, can you give me on, on how to love you best, how to care for you best? Mm. Do you prefer if I kneel down and talk to you eye to eye? I'm happy to do that. And they'll tell you, yes, I do. You know, a lot of people with uh, a, a disability um, will be pretty forward to say those kind of things. Hey, you know what? It's hard to look up at you for a long time. Would you mind grabbing a chair and sitting next to me? Mm. That's the best, mm -hmm. you know? So you're not sitting on your knee and, you know, looking at your watch and how long is this conversation going to last? It's really uncomfortable to be on my knee. You know, grab a mm. chair, pull it up next to them and sit eye to eye. And that kind of being on their level is really significant. So, you know, right off the bat, I would say, 
don't presume that everybody that just walks in normally is, is atypical or is typical. Uh, they may have a, a disability. Um, from there, be willing to ask the questions and um, get on their level and um, be willing to learn and grow. I love that you know, the way that you phrase it, it allows them to be the expert on themselves. So yeah. I think one of the problems uh, that a, a lot of people, a lot of people who want, who have good intentions and want to be helpful is they tell people what they need. So it's like, oh, you must need this or I'll do this for you or I'll do that for you. Yeah. And sometimes that's really condescending and paternalizing and offensive. Yeah. And so to just like get over ourselves and our own sense of pride or our own sense of like need to do it right or be right. And to just, um, to say something, to ask the question, how can, how can I love you best? Like, what is it, what is it that communicates that with you? Uh, that's, I think really, <laughs> a really good stance, a really good way to take, to take the right stance. I agree. And I think one of the things that, I mean, to add to that, um, I think inclusion is one of those things that we can strive for. Um, mm -hmm. Every kid that has a disability wants to feel like they belong, like they're included, like they, they're um, welcome in whatever we're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. easy to presume that they don't. We have a student in our ministry, his name's, um, I'll use a different name, but his name's John. Um, and John has um, cerebral palsy. He walks with a, a walker at times. Um, sometimes he just kind of stumbles. He falls over all the time. Um, verbally, he can talk, but it's really hard to understand him. Um, and he is one of my favorite kids in the whole wide world. He comes to summer camp with us, winter camp. Um, he never misses a week of ministry. The kid is just awesome. Um, but he plays gaga ball with us. And because of the way that his body is kind of contorted and bent over, um, he is a fierce gaga ball player. And he's strong because <laughs> um, he's been dragging himself around for years on a walker and whatever. <laughs> But when people see him in the Gaga ball pit, they 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 pamper him. Oh, here you go, here you go, John, and they kind of tap him the ball, and then he wails it at him and knocks him out of the game. <laughs> we were at summer nice. camp at up at, up at SBR, and he won the the Gaga ball tournament. I mean, the kid is like, he's a freak. Um, yeah. <laughs> but people will treat him like he can't play the game. Um, they will mm -hmm. automatically start off by playing down to him. And we have to remind people, don't give him mercy. Don't, you know, don't go light on him. He will kill no you. Mercy. And um, and he does. Um, but I think that's one of those things we talk about inclusion. Um, inclusion doesn't mean we just kind of welcome and, and can, you know, make a space for them in the corner or we pander to them. It means we include them um, full on inclusion. And, um, and I think people with disabilities really appreciate that when they're treated normally. They'd rather get out fairly than get, mm -hmm you know, catered to and, and, and win unfairly. So when we talk about inclusion, how do you go about preparing yourself or preparing yeah. other, the volunteers in your ministry? What, what does it look like to come into, uh, to come into a space or to create a space that's, that's, that's well prepared to accept and include and value, uh, people with disabilities? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, it's a, probably multifaceted. There's a lot of layers yeah. to that. Um, cause the reality is people with disabilities, um, more severe disabilities in particular, they won't actually come to our church, um, hmm. because there's not a space for them. Um, you know, if you, if you understand the history of, um, kind of disabilities in the church in 1990, which is 
in my opinion, a very late date. In 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed. Um, that might be shocking to you that it was that late um, in our, our development. I mean, we went through a lot of, you know, other issues first, and disabilities is one of those really late comers. And here's one of the unfortunate things about the ADA, um, is that when it was signed, churches were actually given an exemption for their physical spaces. So some of these churches are 200, 300 years old, um, and renovating to make them a wheelchair accessible, handicap accessible, um, you know, widen the doorways, ramps would have been cost prohibitive. And so in the conversation, they basically allowed churches to have an exemption for their physical spaces. Now churches have to still honor the kind of the, the other legal side of things. So churches can't discriminate based on disability, but churches are not uh, required to adhere to Americans with Disabilities Act in, in their physical spaces. Um, and most churches haven't done anything in order to wow. adjust that. Wow. Now, if you're building a new church, you're making additions, you're renovating, um, most new construction will be ADA compliant. Yeah. But most of our churches are not. <clears throat> so if you want to have a ministry to people with disabilities, the first thing you got to do is make your space accessible. Um, and there's a lot that's involved with that from... Um, you know, making sure that the doorknobs and the light switches are in the right spot to ramps and automated doorways, um, signage, um, uh, handicap accessible bathrooms, um, you know, spaces where, I mean, I went to a church one time where the ba- the only bathroom was in the basement. <laughs> it's like, that's not helpful. Um, so the first thing is that, um, you know, I, I think the, the second thing is to address some of the social barriers that exist. Uh, most people don't know how to um, interact with people with a disability. Um, they're intimidated by it. They don't want to make a mistake. Um, they have a hard time understanding somebody with a, a, a speech um, problem, a disability. Um, so that begins, I mean, what we, we're required, I mean, it begs us to do is to do some training, some sensitivity training. Um, you know, mm-hmm. our, our our church by, by mandate of the state now is required to do, um, you know, training on... Uh, uh, sexual harassment. We're required to do some training on uh, race issues and sensitivity. I think it's wise for us. We're not required to, but I think it'd be just um, Johnny and Friends is an amazing organization that offers wonderful resources and training for churches in particular mm-hmm. um, to help people um, learn how to interact with and create mm-hmm. space for people with disabilities. And so in each one of the churches that I've served, um, on a somewhat regular basis, every couple of years, we do a, a training night where everybody comes and we talk about people with disabilities and we talk about how to be accepting and welcoming. And we do all sorts of activities with, um, you know, where we blindfold the kids or where we put them in wheelchairs or we make them do certain things that are physically in, um, difficult um, or we mess with their processing in some way so that they get an understanding of what it feels like to have a disability. And then we ask them to care for one another in that way. And it's very experiential, it's interactive, um, and kids leave with this greater appreciation um, for people who, who don't have the abilities that they do. Um, and what that does is, is that when, when somebody shows up on a Sunday morning or at youth group on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, it means they're not so intimidated. Uh, they feel confident to go and care for that person, to interact, to meet them. Um, and so both of these things are about really just clearing away the obstacles that exist before the person shows up. 
Um, the reality is, you know, you've heard the phrase that the church is the most, you know, 11 o'clock on mm. Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America, right? And usually we're talking about that in regards to uh, race issues, mm. but yeah. um, mm. people with disabilities are actually the least reached people group in our country, and I believe the world, um, but the statistic is is out there that it is the least reached people group mm. in the church in America. Um, it's easier to reach just about every other demographic. <clears throat> But we, we don't do a great job of reaching with people with disabilities. Um, and it's not because we don't have programs. You know, programs are the, this is the hard thing that I think most churches will say, well, you know, we would have a program, we'd hire somebody, but people with disabilities don't come to our church. Well, that's kind of the chicken or the egg thing, right? If you want them to come, you have to have a program. If you mm. have a program, you need people. Yeah. And, and where do you start? Do you wait for somebody to show up to have a program? Or do you start a program, pour money into it, and then... Mm risk nobody showing up where does it start and, and i think it doesn't doesn't mm. have to start with a big program you don't have to designate mm. a classroom you don't have to designate a small group that's you know you know all you have to do is be ready you have to have a plan so um what happens when somebody walks in with a, what happens when somebody calls and says my son has autism is there a space for him what happens when somebody mm. Um, is blind and they, mm. you know, they can't see the screen and they can't participate in the same way. And <clears throat> what do you do? Um, mm. uh, and, and so I think that the most important thing is just to actually have a plan. Mm. Right. Um, and I think mm. it begins with designating a person or two um, mm. to address those things. So maybe it's recruiting somebody in the congregation that has a background in special ed, uh, somebody mm. who's an occupational therapist, somebody who's got experience um you know, in the medical field, perhaps uh, with more severe disabilities and just designating them as the go-to person. Um, <clears throat> that's a pretty simple way to start. Um, you know, I think the other piece is that yeah. we have to pursue those people. Um, hmm. You know, when, when it comes to creating churches of diversity, um, people with diverse backgrounds are not just going to show up in my church because I want them to. Um, I have to pursue a relationship with them. Um, I have to you know, mm, yeah. I have to love them in a way that makes them feel safe. Mm. And, and here's the, the, the really, um, I think unless you have somebody with a disability in your home, you don't know this. Um, but, but families who have children with disabilities are very reluctant to trust others with their kids because most people don't take care of them. Well, most people will, um, ignore them mm. or abuse them, it, not intentionally, uh, but expect them to, to act like a typical kid. And they've learned that um, even yeah. in the schools, um, their kids are very, very vulnerable. Um, you know, we, we, in youth ministry, we're very careful to protect against, mm. uh, you know, sexual predators and we background check and we train and we do all these things. Kids with disabilities can't advocate for themselves. They can't oftentimes, mm. um, recognize when they're being preyed upon. Mm. Um, and so parents with disabilities are very reluctant to trust people they don't know and don't, um, have a relationship with, with their kids. And so, it, you know, mm. if you want to bridge that mm. gap, it begins by having a relationship with the families. And that yeah. might mean as the youth pastor reaching out and saying, hey, can I come over and spend some time with with John? Can I come over and spend some time with Henry? Can I come over and spend time with whoever the kid is? And being, you know, even kind of like a mom's helper, you know, you might say to the parents, uh, you know, the next time you're heading to the store, you're going to the mall, doing some Christmas shopping. Can I come and help you out? And I want to mm. learn what's the best way to, mm. um, and, and man, that goes a long, long way when you enter their world. Now, these are no-brainers, right? When it comes yeah. to youth ministry, we know that contact work and relational ministry and being in the kid's life is important and effective. You just got to apply that to, to the family 
when you have a, a student with a disability in your ministry. Well, as you're listening to our conversation with Pete, you know that reaching out to all types of students is important and helping those students find healing can be really complicated. And that's why we created Regroup. Regroup is a program that equips ministry leaders who want to help hurting kids find healing. And as we're talking about students with disabilities, a lot of them struggle to feel like they fit in. They end up feeling a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety. And having a way to think and process pain and anxiety is really important, especially today. And it can be hard to know the right thing to say or or the right thing to do or the right way to lead somebody who's going through this kind of pain. And the Regroup curriculum equips you with everything that you need as a leader to start helping hurting students who, who feel like they don't fit the mold of traditional ministry environments. Yeah, the program is valuable because it can equip each student individually to develop their own way of processing what's going on in their life. So if you're a leader who wants to help hurting students in your ministry, but maybe doesn't feel prepared or is anxious about saying the wrong thing, we think Regroup can help. You can buy the program or learn more by visiting rallypointmen.com regroup. I'm really curious, in, in maybe just a sentence or two, um, we got a question about, you know, there's so many different kinds of disabilities. There's, um, you know, it manifests really differently in, in each kid. We're kind of curious to know, why do we lump these people um, why, why do we lump people into one group of just people with disabilities yeah. rather than, you know, going out and trying to reach individual people? Does it make it easier for us? Is it, is it less intimidating that way? What? Yeah. Yeah. I think we do that across the board in just about every, um, you know, arena. So, you know, we'll talk about, um, minorities, right? Well, that's a horrible <laughs> generalization, right? There are so many different ways you could be a minority. We're not just talking racially, right? Um, the LGBTQ plus, right, has a, 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 I don't know how many letters have, have been added to that now, but um, inclusion in that idea is, is um, we struggle with this in every area, mm-hmm. whatever we're talking about, we, we speak in generalities because we don't want to leave people out. So I think it's not a bad thing. I think mm. it's a it's a natural thing. It's something that we just have to recognize is true. But mm. the closer you get to somebody, the more specific um, mm. it gets, right? So when we talk about um, you know people with disabilities, we talk about special needs ministry. Mm. Um, we can talk about um, accessibility, and oftentimes we're talking about physical disabilities in that regard. Um, when we get right down to it, we, we actually don't use those generalities nearly as much as, as we think. Um, but I think for most people who are not in it, um, it's just, we don't know the specifics of it. We don't have a person that we're thinking of, um, when we have those conversations. So when I talk about, um, you know, for a while there in our junior high group, we had a student who was blind. And so we talked about visual impairment and we talked about, you know, how do you overcome, you know, visual obstacles. Um, so when we ask the kids to, hey, take out your Bible and read this, in his group, what that meant was we didn't ask kids to, um, you know, to read in that way. Um, so we used voice recordings, we used the Bible app and and played the Bible. Um, we did different activities where they weren't having to read and see things on the screen. 
Um, we tried to make things, uh, but we didn't talk about generalities of, you know, people with disabilities. We talked about, you know, visual impairments, people that were visually uh, impaired. So the more, the closer you get to somebody, the more spe- specific it is, the, the less you talk about. Yeah. So yeah. it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more about, it, there's an individual in front of you and it's not uh, like people with it, like people with disabilities or minorities or, or whatever, uh, we do tend to generalize and it makes life simpler on, on us to just have these generalized buckets. And even this, this podcast, like uh, we're talking about people with disabilities, like we are in a sense doing that. Um, but in, in reality, in real ministry, what has to happen is we have to individualize and, uh, you've, you've pointed out a bunch of times there's, you know, there's all these unique ways that someone, uh, can have kind of a, an atypical experience of life. And, um, right. and, and really every person on the planet is having their own unique experience of life. And so we're trying to individualize how we care because we individualize how we care for everybody. And it's a whole lot easier, especially in, in larger churches, we want to scale up, which means we, uh, less, we like lessen the emphasis on individuality. And so, yeah. Uh, we can we can kind of lose that sense of dignity that everybody is an individual. Um, I, I I think one of the other things that's that's yeah. really prevalent. A lot of our listener questions have to do with the relationship with parents of kids with disabilities, and so um, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on how to go about communicating with parents. So one of the questions was, uh, what do we do if if, if it's a kid with an invisible disability, they didn't use this phrase, but that's, that's kind of what they're getting at. It's an, we think that they might have a disability, but nobody has come up to us yeah. and said it. And we just don't know, like, should we bridge that gap? Nobody's telling us they have a disability, but it seems like they, you know, like they're, they're interacting in the group different from other people. Like, how do we as, as ministry leaders engage in that conversation, especially the, the question really has to do with parents. Like, yeah. how do we talk to the parents about their kid? You know, I read that question and I, I got a good giggle because um, <laughs> I've got some personal experience with it. On the one hand, it's kind of like when you see a woman and you wonder if she's pregnant, like you're <laughs> never supposed to say it, right? Like, oh, hey, when no. are you due? Like, that's not a, yeah. we, don't we all have learned, right? Don't, don't do that. Um, yeah, here we've got three guys on a podcast. This is one, if you are listening, this is good <laughs> advice. Never ask that question. Yeah. Very, very good advice. <laughs> Um, you know, it's funny because I think, um, with disabilities, um, parents live with this reality every single day that my kid is, um, not typical. Um, parents live with an anxiety that my child is vulnerable and I'm sending them out the door to school, um, on the school bus outside in the neighborhood and somebody's going to take advantage of them. Somebody's going to treat them poorly. Um, parents live with this anxiety every single day, most parents with kids with disabilities, they just wish somebody recognized um, how hard it is, right? Um, the work that they do, how, how, um, how difficult their life happens to be. And to be able to say, you know, so again, this is probably more applying to people who have the, the visible disabilities, right? Where you're able to see them, not the invisible ones. Um, but I think every parent wants to, to know that that they're not invisible as a parent with a, mm. a child who has, who has disabilities. Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with at times saying, Hey, um, 
I'm really glad Zach is part of our ministry and he's a fantastic kid. I bet you have some tips and ideas for how I can love Zach best and I can help him really engage with the group. Um, what kind of tips would you give me? And that's a wide open door that that parent is going to hear as, okay, my youth pastor recognizes that Zach's a little different and he's trying his best to engage without asking the point blank question. Um, Hey, what's Zach's diagnosis? Um, that's probably not the best place to start. So I think on the other hand, we, this is where it's hard to be a pastor, but at some point we're, we're, we are called um, to treat the whole student, not just them spiritually, mm-hmm. which means there's going to be times where mm-hmm. we probably have to say, hey, I'm recognizing some things that are concerning or that might signify he needs a little bit more care or whatever. And, and I think we just have to be willing to work with the parents. Now, we can't be offensive. We have to be sensitive. And I think most parents are great. Mm-hmm. Most parents are recognized, um, you know, that yeah. their kid has some, some needs and, and uh, disabilities there. I think the key thing that I'm hearing in that is is you set yourself up as the parent's teammate mm. and not as the parent, not as like the the one with all the answers, but just somebody who cares about their kid. And so the question was was seen as genuine and as as kind and compassionate and caring and not seen as like what's wrong with your kid? Your kid has behavioral issues. You need to fix your kid. Your kid shouldn't come back if they're not going to act right. Like which is what we can fall into because kids, kids uh, with with disabilities can feel disruptive. Can feel um, they 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 do take more work and they take more capacity from us and mm. um, and so sometimes we can get into this other space of like oh he's got behavioral issues and yeah, yeah. so f- fix your kid yeah. and what what those parents heard from you is I'm your teammate and I'm seeing these these um, kind of a- atypical social things yeah. and. Uh, you know, and I care. Um, yeah. So yeah. There, there's probably wording things, but what you said at, at the beginning was really a, a key part of of this. Like people want us to be a part of the conversation yeah. and to yeah. not not like bow to the awkwardness we feel and and, yeah. and use that as an excuse to to not uh, engage. You know, it's, um, it's, if I could flip it a little bit and talk biblically speaking, um, Jesus talks about leaving the ninety nine and chasing down the one. Right. Um, and, and that's in the context of the lost sheep. But Jesus doesn't give a context for that. Um, that can be applied just about any way, right? You know, we, we, we develop our programs for the 99, um, but Christ calls us to chase down the one. Hmm. Um, you know, when you think about Jesus and his ministry, um, his, his healing ministry was all focused on people with disabilities, right? Um, Jesus had a heart and a passion and a one-on-one type of a relationship with those people that was very distinct from the ministry to the 99, his preaching. Um, and he always took time for the one, right? Whether it was, I mean, it was hard to acknowledge or to ignore the, the, the guy on the mat lowered down through the ceiling and right in front of him, it was a little disruptive. Um, yeah. But he didn't ignore the, you know, the blind beggar who was yelling from the side of the road like his disciples did. His disciples tried to silence that, that person. And Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not going to happen, right? Um, Jesus had a passion, and he went after those individuals. Um, he took time for them. He, they, they were his first, most important interruption, if you will. Um, and it's something to be learned about from Jesus in that regard. Absolutely. That's so wise. And I really like you, know, you commenting on the, 
the idea of the one sheep and the fact that we do set up our ministries to get those those 99. And Pete, you know, I think throughout this conversation, you've given us some really valuable, just practical steps. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to ask, you know, maybe if you were to give three bullet points, what does somebody with absolutely no disability ministry right now do to start welcoming and setting up their church to minister to people with disabilities? I know you've, you've touched on it in several of your answers, but I'd love to hear just one, two, three. Here's what you can do today so that, you know, by this time, two months from now, you are starting to build a ministry to people with disabilities. Yeah, I, I already, I, I kind of started in that direction, talked about removing the physical barriers. Yeah. Um, I talked about removing the social barriers, the stigma, um, and helping people develop some sensitivity to that. And then not starting off with a program, but rather just having a plan. And I think those are the three mm. significant things. I think on a on another level, if I could just kind of a layer deeper than that, I, I, I would I would take Jesus' example. I, I wouldn't just wait for them to show up. I would go after them. I, I think the important thing is to, because mm. here's the reality. Uh, statistics would say that there are people with disabilities in your church. There are students with disabilities whose families call your church home. Um, chances are right now, um, they're watching online. They're doing digital church like the rest of us. Um, but I want you to think about that family with a kid with a disability who's now locked up in their home. They're not leaving the house. They don't have their typical therapies. Their child who thrives on, on routine and, and habits and structure is way outside of their, their comfort zone. They're off their rhythms. They're not getting the therapies and such that they, they typically get. And these parents are probably really worn out. Um, they're trying to work. They're trying to earn a living. They're trying to care for their kids. They're making ends mm -hmm. meet. Um, right now, the best way to start a disabilities ministry is to find those families in your church to make a contact call and say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm thinking of you. I know this has got to be hard. Um, how can I support you? How can I love you? I know that you're home every mm. day with Silas and boy, that's demanding and you're not getting the in-home care that you were getting before COVID. How can we as a church help you? Um, it doesn't start with mm. big ministry. We don't start with a program. We yeah. start with a relationship and an individual. I think the second thing that we need to think through is what is our aim, right? Um, we, in youth ministry today, we're, we're pretty good at developing um, kind of ministry aims. Here's the big idea. Here's the goal. Here's the, um, you know, the, the DDP, the dis description of a discipled person, right? We develop these things and we know what we want to get um, our kids to encounter and who we want them to be. Do we have that same aim for a person with a disability? Do you know, when a kid with autism comes into our, our youth group, um, do we have an aim for them? Do we have a goal? Do we have a, a pedagogical, if you will, um, understanding of what does it mean to really minister to them in a profound way? What what does faith look like to a child who has, uh, you know, lesser cognitive abilities? They're not wrestling through the abstract thoughts of the faith. Like what what would it look like for my nephews who have Angelman syndrome to encounter Jesus? right? What would it look like for them to have an active faith? And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of times we don't even think those thoughts, mm -hmm. but if we do, we immediately think that, well, could a kid, <clears throat> you know, with a cog-year-old who's cognitively three years old, can they really have a faith in Jesus? Um, it's a really mm -hmm. unfortunate thought. 
because Christ's spirit, you know, works in ways that we will never understand. And I've seen deeper love for Jesus in my students with disabilities than I've seen in a lot of the the typical kids. Um, These kids just, they love worship. They love prayer. They love being part of the family of God. I mean, if I could replicate that in the lives of the rest of my youth group, I'd have the most winsome, appealing, fun, exciting, growing, healthy youth group in the world. But you only find that in those yeah. kids that mm, are willing absolutely. to. I think what Jesus said, you know, that we had to have childlike faith. Um, that applies elsewhere too. So I think, you know, start with the, an individual, chase them down, be specific in how you're caring for one, and then know what your aim is. Um, figure out how you're going to speak their spiritual love language and learn how to interact in that way. So whether it's reading and reciting Bible stories or singing and worshiping together, praying um, you know, whatever those things are, uh, do it for one and you'll end up doing it for a lot more than one. I love, I love that. And what I'm hearing is if there's one thing I can take away today, it's Jesus chase the, the one. And, uh, as ministry leaders, that's, it's our responsibility to follow his role model. And, and so it does, it sometimes feels like it costs us something to kind of like leave the 99, like leave the the large scale, the program, the, the thing. Um, but that's what, what Jesus did. Uh, and that's what he calls us to do is, is go after the one and care and love for kids. Pete, thank you so much Mm. for taking the time today, um, sharing with us years of experience and wisdom and, and, and love. Absolutely. Well, Hey, thanks for having me guys. Uh, it's been a blast to hang out with you guys. Um, uh, I miss you. Uh, we used to hang out a whole lot more, but this has been fun for me and it's great to talk about because this sharpens yeah. me too. So thanks for the privilege yeah. and for all you guys are doing for youth ministry in our context. Thanks. So one of the things I love most about Pete is the fact that it, his love for people with disabilities is just really evident and it makes him magnetic. Kids... Uh, come just come around him mm. and and love him because he loves them back. And what I heard in this interview today was that we can do that too mm. when we look at people as individuals. When we uh, make eye contact, we chase the one kid. We make sure that that they're not outsider, that they're not alone. Mm. And so it, it inspired me to think about the people in my life, the the one, who who is the one, yeah. not the 99, but who is the one person that I, I need to seek out, care for, yeah. and, and love. Yeah. And what I think is great is that you mentioned it. He's magnetic, but he still goes after that one. He still reaches out to those parents. And so um, it's just so valuable to have somebody like that who everybody wants to be around, but who still goes after the people on the fringes, goes after and tries to love and know um, even those ones who aren't the 99 circling around him. That's really valuable. And I think one thing I just love is how intelligent and how practical a lot of his his knowledge and recommendations are. And so even the the three things he said, just in terms of remove the physical barriers, remove the social barriers, and you don't necessarily need a program right off the bat, but you do need a plan. I love that because it's very, very simple. You know, those are three easy questions that I can just think about. Okay, physical barriers, social barriers, and what's my plan? What's my aim? And that's just yeah. a really valuable way to think about ministry in general, and especially ministry to 
people with disabilities. It's just, you know, I don't need $10,000 and, you know, years of training. I don't need an occupational therapy degree. I just need to be willing to reach out to that one and to try to find a way to engage them and to love them. And man, they're just some of the most delightful people you will ever meet. And I'm so glad that he sees that and that he just has such a passion for them. One of the things Pete talked about today is eliminating barriers for people with disabilities. And if that's something you or someone you know is trying to figure out, we have a resource for you. It's a simple worksheet that will help you assess possible barriers in your ministry and make a plan to help people feel welcomed and loved. Now, to get that worksheet, go to rallypointmen.com podcast and subscribe with your email. You'll get a link where you can download this resource and get others that we've created just for you. And if you like what you heard today, please rate or review this podcast. By doing that, you can empower other leaders with tools that can help them to support others. And also, we want to hear from you. We'd love to know how this episode has helped you or what other challenges you're facing in your ministry that we could cover. So send us an email to hello at rallypointmen.com. Thanks so much for listening. 